This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Sustainable Lens, Resilience on Radio. Hear an informed, intelligent and provocative discussion of issues every week as seen through the lens of sustainability. It is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic, where all students learn how to make their industries more sustainable. It is hosted by Samuel Mann and Shane Gallagher and joined every week by a leading figure in the sustainability scene. Sustainable Lens, Resilience on Radio, broadcast every week on Otago Access Radio and podcast on sustainablelens.org and on oar.org.nz. Welcome to Sustainable Lens Regeneration on radio. Each week we talk with somebody who is making a positive difference and we try to see the world through a positive perspective through their sustainable lens. This morning in Dunedin, a train carrying coal was held up for a while by some young protesters from Extinction Rebellion. With those protesters was Bruce Maholsky, and he joins me now. Welcome, Bruce. You're right. Where did you grow up, Bruce? Uh, in Dunedin. What did you want to be when you grew up? Marine biologist. That didn't happen, did it? No, I sort of went quite a way down that track. I did a fisheries and aquaculture degree at Victoria, and for a while I worked on fisheries research, but I didn't like the the politics. It was basically like, how many fish can we extract? Yes. Um, and uh, extractive industry, and being a conservationist at heart, it, it just didn't, it didn't feel right after a while. Where did that conservationist at heart come from? Oh, I think my parents, and yeah, just brought up that way, so I had a lot to do with conservation groups all my life. And so how do you describe yourself now? Certainly we see your work all over town as an artist, but it's wider than that, isn't it? Well, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, I mean, since I moved back to Dunedin four years ago, I have focused a lot on, on Dunedin. And we have a question at the end of the show which asks, do you consider yourself to be an activist? But I think I can jump straight ahead to that with you now. Do you consider yourself to be an activist? Yeah, most definitely. What for? Uh, well, I guess sort of like uh, social and ecological justice with an emphasis on my part on the ecological side of it. And that, again, that, that drive came from from how you were brought up or is it something else that's that's got you there? Oh, I think, yeah, people, how I was brought up and the sort of influences and the, you know, like John Darby, assistant director of the museum, he was a big influence on me growing up. In what, in what way? Uh, just sort of like turning me on to, you know, natural science and, uh, yeah, getting me interested in, in certain fields. So what are you doing to quench your activist thirst now? Well, quite a few things. Um, so I guess the main thing we, we're going to talk about today is the uh, my uh, work with Extinction Rebellion, Autiporti, um, and some of the actions we've been doing recently around coal. So coal is a sort of target at the moment, and the main people producing coal in this part of the world is Bathurst Industries. Uh, and they mine the coal, and Frontera use it to um, they burn it to convert liquid milk into milk powder for export. 
And I guess we feel that coal is completely outdated. It's the most sort of dirty fossil fuel that, that there is. And to burn that for like private profit of, of a few dairy farmers, uh, it seems like a big slap in the face for the next generation. So what are you doing about it? Well, a lot of things, but more, you know, recently, I guess, we've been getting in the news for uh, delaying a train uh, that goes through Dunedin every single day almost, at least six days a week, carrying somewhere around 500 tonnes of coal, really dirty coal too, uh, from the Ohau Takatimu mine down uh, near um, Invercargill, uh, and that goes up to the Clandyborn Milk Factory in uh, South Canterbury. Uh, so there's 500 tonnes of coal when it's burned equates to, uh, according to our estimates, around about 1,100 tonnes of CO2 into the atmosphere, which is the equivalent of putting 85,000 petrol-driven cars on the road every day. Is it really? So we have, we have been uh, down there recently uh, delaying this train, uh, being inconvenient for, for them. I mean, we see Kiwi Rail, you know, state-owned industry, is definitely a part of of the future of of you know a climate neutral or a climate negative future, but uh, not while they're carrying coal. Uh, we know some of their members are not are not happy about carrying coal. Um, uh, and obviously, you know, um, uh, they're they're forced to do it if if you know if they're the train driver. You know, they they don't have a say in what they carry. Well, I mean, obviously, the union does, uh, and they're all members of the union. So I guess we'd like to see Kiwi Rail turn their back on coal, and so we have been putting pressure on them uh, to do so. So people are asking, why aren't we protesting at, at Clandyboy, etc.? Well, of course, we have been protesting at different times outside uh, some of the big dairy factories. We have been protesting at the mines, uh, but, you know, they're not in Dunedin. Uh, and if we go out of town, you know, we get slammed for, you know, for using cars and that. So, so it's a no-win situation being an activist. You know, someone's going to criticise you for something. Um but at the moment, yeah. So, so today we were down at the railway uh, and the Extinction Rebellion Autoporty Youth Group. So there was actually a youth group. They've been leading the protests recently, um, and so we've been criticised and stuffed today for letting young people stand on the tracks. Well, we're not letting them stand on the tracks. You know, they they are organising this and doing it themselves. You know, they're not our puppets. They they do what they want, and it's just insulting. You know, to the article and, and stuff. Uh, it's also uh, very misleading to say that we're acting dangerously. Uh, the train has already stopped usually by the time we stand in front of it or it's slowing down for level crossing. It's not like we're jumping out in front of moving trains. We know the timetable. In the past, the police have praised us for our, our, you know, our, um, our safety um, on the track. Uh, and so this latest spin that we're, we're putting young people in danger is, is just frankly laughable and insulting to the young people involved. And those young people have certainly been active over the last few years, prompted by the, the school strike. Does it make you hopeful that, yes. that they're engaged and, and, and active oh, in that most, way? Most definitely. Some of these young people are just absolutely amazing. Maturity way beyond their years. Some of them have come out of school strike um, and you know now a little bit older. And so they're part of the, the youth, youth wing of uh, the local Extinction Rebellion. Uh, but yeah, uh, way impressive, really impressed, and, and I certainly will do all I can to, to help them. It's interesting that being criticised for minor things that you're doing when you're being active. I know that those those kids were being criticised, of course, for the, you know, are you wearing a, a plastic coat? Are you using a cell phone? 
Um, even at the All last, stuff, yeah. even at the last school strike, one of the city councillors criticised them for being driven to school. Yeah, uh, and, and, and quite well shouted down. Yeah, it's just so. It's just like it's a non-argument. You know, it's like nobody can be a carbon Jesus uh, on this planet. You know, the systems that. That, that are put in place, you know, we all have to work within these systems. You know, even if we drove electric cars to protests, and a lot of the people in the group have electric cars, you know, you can still get slammed for, you know, oh, the batteries, you know, you're wearing shoes, all this stuff, it's irrelevant. You know, it doesn't mean because we're part of society, we can't ask the society to improve itself. You know, it's just a, it's a non-argument as far as I'm concerned. And we get fed up with, with it, with these people thinking they're so clever, you know, saying, oh, your sign's made of plastic or whatever. You know, it's just depressing. And Edison invented the light bulb by candlelight. That didn't make him a yeah, hypocrite. Well, just, yeah, I know. It's just they can't see the bigger picture. Uh, and, and they're slamming us, you know, for trying to save our environment and, and, and then leave something for future generations. And, and as if we enjoy, you know putting ourselves in a restful positions, you know, getting up early in the morning, you know, all of this stuff. They think, they think we enjoy this. I tell you, there's many, many other things I'd rather be doing. <laughs> and it's, it's a, as you were saying, it's kind of a difficult position because the trains, because the trains are definitely a few, you know, the, they have to have a big part yeah. of our future. So it's kind of unfortunate yeah. that, that that transition is being muddied in that way. Yeah. Yeah, well, here we are. We've got a government that's declared a climate emergency, for God's sake, and and there's nothing really being done. I mean, they've talked they've talked big, you know, about nuclear-free moments and stuff, but we're not seeing any action. You know, Frontera's committed to burning coal till 2030. The mine at Katimu is, is is talking about expanding by 20 hectares to you know to put, keep up with demand. There's no slowing down on their part that we can see anyway. So they, they they put a lot of spin out there. There's a lot of greenwash happening, but they're not really doing anything. So what's the what's the goal in in stopping the train or in slowing down the the train? Because the coal's getting there eventually. You're not you're not like t- stealing the coal off the train and, and hiding it from them. So it's no, not actually stopping no. anything, is it? No, we're just trying to embarrass them. Uh, um, basically, uh, is the main thing into uh, getting out of coal. Um, and just saying, you know, Kiwi Rail, state-owned industry, government's declared a climate emergency. Carrying coal is not consistent with that. Has the minister said anything? Uh, not that I'm aware. Because mm, it's, it's, it's a... Because they, they've certainly done things like they've gotten the, um, the the superannuation fund and all that sort of stuff out of... Yep. Out of, you know, the dirty yep. investments, haven't they? Yep, but this this recent climate commission white paper that came out, uh, you know, the the report that we all put submissions in, is very disappointing. It talks mainly about stopping burning coal. Yeah, with with these time frames put on, you know, we'll get out of it by 2030. You know, which is like way too late in our opinion. Uh, the no more internal combustion engine car imports. Um, but Fonterra dairy dairy factories, uh, cows, you know, all this dirty phosphate that's being brought in from occupied Sudan, that all seems to get a pass. Uh, jet planes bring tourists here, that seems to get a pass. And we understand why, you know, the, the dairy lobby, the tourism lobby, you know, the two biggest earners, and the government doesn't, doesn't want to clamp down. But if we're going to be serious about reducing emissions in this country, and, and and fulfilling our obligations under the Paris Accord, we've got to make some major changes. And at the moment, it's just not happening. So why Extinction Rebellion for you? 
Uh, well, it's interesting that I did a poster um, under another name, um, and it had a human skull and the word extinction on it, because I just got really fed up. This was a few years ago, uh, with the way things were going, and I just couldn't see, I couldn't see a way forwards. And then pretty much around the time I started putting them up, the group formed, and so I could see here's another group that's putting human extinction on the table, um, rather than just the extinction of animals and plants. So I thought, yeah, it's timely, um, and uh, it's a, it's it's like a, a, an activist group rather than a you know a lobby group. And you've been active in lots of things: the minerals forum, the um, were you on the ship in Timaru. No, I wasn't personally, but quite a few of the group were. So the Minerals Forum, yeah, that was a couple of years ago. That was where the group really like first um, got active. And then that that year, uh, was it 2018 I think, or 2019, um, we went to a lot of the uh, the minerals conferences, the oil conference, gas conference, etc., around the country, and, and and tried to make life difficult for them. And then last year, we very much focused on OMV. Uh, and their giant drilling rig, the, the, the what's it called, the something prospector, that that was down off our coast drilling for oil and gas. Fortunately, they didn't find any. Um, so yeah, we some of the people um, from XR Waterporty and also Greenpeace occupied one of their support vessels. Uh, but recently, we're focused on on coal and uh, and trying to really put pressure on Fonterra, uh, Bathurst to just get out of this really dirty business. It was with Dave Coles uh, dying this this week. I've been looking at the his speech that he gave to the Minerals Forum, and mm. I don't think I don't think people realised at the time how important that speech was and what, what a surprise that was. Yeah, yeah. There was also another amazing speaker that Alan Mark um, got down for that. I can't remember her name. He was like an economics professor, and she gave a talk at the conference. Uh, but I actually uh, heard her give it later on in a public forum, and it was it was basically that the extractive industries have got to start thinking not in terms of like five years or ten years, which they currently do, but a good a good business wants to think a hundred years ahead. You know, how do we still be in business in a hundred years? And at the moment, they're not doing that. So, who do we need to convince, or, or what's the what's the tipping point that we're looking for? Well, I guess you know the, the, what we're looking for is is, is um, Kiwi Rail as a state-owned industry with a government declared climate emergency to say that we, we don't feel that carrying coal is consistent with with a climate emergency, uh, and I guess that might, that would put real pressure on Fonterra to find other ways to heat their uh, milk and turn it into powder for export. And you know, currently they do use very small amounts of um, wood pellets. I mean, that would put the price up, which is why they're resisting it. Uh, but that's that's the goal at the moment. Well, one of the main one of the main goals at the moment. So, so that's like, uh, so that's coming down very firmly on the the system change rather than the individuals yeah, making change. Right. Yeah, because you see these ads on TV, you know, about you know use less, etc. You know, put out by the power companies. But when you've got a coal train ripping through town every day. You know, putting an extra eighty-five thousand cars on the road. You know, when that that, that um, how much do I say? Around five hundred tons of coal was burned. Uh, it makes a mockery of individual efforts. So, what do we? What do you need the, well, the rest of like us to do? 
we would like people to join Extinction Rebellion Aotearoa or uh, there's other groups as well. There's School Strike for Climate to see Young. There's Climate Justice Aotearoa. Uh, there's um, uh, the Seniors for Climate Action. If you're an older person, uh, there's um, oh, there's another one whose name I can't remember. So join a group. Joining a group is, is a way to make you know make yourself powerful and, and get your voice out there. Um, and so don't don't be try and be a climate Jesus and a carbon Jesus. It's just you know you'll you'll do your head in. Uh, we're looking for major system change. So please, you know, join a group, come along to one of our protests, you know, join the Facebook group on uh, on Facebook or follow us on Instagram or Twitter or and, and get involved. Do you have any idea of how many people you need to make that difference? I'm, I'm thinking of things like the Transition Town movement that basically says we're not, we don't have to try and convince anybody. We just have to get on with living a yeah. better life. But, but yeah, you're actually like, trying like, to... People say five percent uh, will tip you over. Uh, I think realistically, it's, it's more like ten, um, because often you know you've got a very close margin of uh, in many many subjects where you've got fifty percent of people thinking one way and fifty percent another. And so, if you can convince five people, you know you can you can sway sway um, public opinion in a, in a democracy that we live in, thankfully. Um, so yeah, uh, between five and ten percent of people need to change their minds um, about climate change and see it as an imperative um, and something that we need to deal with right now. So what's next? Well, I can't really, can't really <laughs> away on hands and yeah, I'm not really part, you know, I'm just a functionary. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I can't really say. But in a broader picture then, what's next for you? Well, I guess just just try and keep active. You know, I'm I'm getting old. You know, I, I'm a, like everyone else, I've been impacted by COVID. Um, so I'm just trying to do as much as I can. You know, while I'm alive, thinking of all those animals and plants that I love, and and my children, and and perhaps their children. Have I been sleeping? I've been so still, afraid of crumbling. Have I been careless Dismissing all the distant rumblings Take me where I am supposed to be To comprehend the things that I can't see Cause I need to move I need to As a child, I danced like it was 1999. My dreams were wild. The promise of this new world would be mine. Now I am throwing off the carelessness of youth to listen to an inconvenient
Before the break, we were talking with Bruce Maholsky. Bruce is active in XR, Extinction Rebellion, Otipoti. And I thought we'd spend the rest of the time on Sustainable Lens today looking into the archives to see what we can find about people being active through protest. Here is Hordor Torfason from Iceland. And then they said, yes, uh, could you also do a workshop with us in, in protesting and activism? And I thought, wow, that's, that's something I've never done in my life. Yeah, I said, yes, I would really, it's a challenge. It's good timing and, as well. Yeah, it's also like, uh, you probably know if you're teaching, you learn a lot. And from my tour uh, tours, I, I'm really learning a lot about myself and about other people. So, because you can't go to Cyprus and be the person that that stands up in front of the the thousand people and sing no, playing that's your guitar. Not my job. No, no. You've, you've got to encourage other people to do that. Yes, this is that's part of my job. Doing these tours is like I know people tell me. I I inspire them and, and really give them hope and if that's that's what I feel and, and that's good enough for me to go on with this message. Do you still write music? Back to Dunedin. Here is Jack Brazil. Um, it's quite often um, an internalized thing. This is like you know you've got a mental illness and you're sick, but it doesn't really um, step outside and consider well, why are people being sick? Is it because most people are working week to week um, and not earning enough money to meet their basic living needs? You know, that's a direct um, consequence of our economic and fiscal policies. And so in our government, are we seeing our Minister of Finance talking with our Minister of Health to um, talk about those intersections there? Because, um, you know, that's what makes life so beautiful is the intersections. But when we come to a policy level, and deciding about how we are going to decide decision makings, um, those intersections seem to go out the door, and um, that's probably the most frustrating thing I, I, I see in decision making um, is not um, not considering those and not seeing those those links because I think that's and then that's um, quite a product of I guess a neoliberal way of thinking of individualizing everything. Um, when in reality, um, you know, as a world, we are connected, and we've seen that now more than ever with COVID nineteen. That we have to work together, and how well um, we have in New Zealand worked together to ensure our safety. The idea that you know health is collective; it's not individual. Um, and that old saying goes: um, "We're only as good as how we treat our most vulnerable mem- vulnerable members of society." So, yeah, I'd say um, don't believe that. <laughs> that it's a it's a trick. <laughs> the Dunedin electorate is going to be fought between you and the Minister of Health and the opposition mm-hmm. spokesperson for for health. So you, you're probably right that health is going to be mm. at the centre of their minds anyway. What yeah. what are you going to con- what are you going to contribute to to, the, to that discussion? I think just getting that nuance in there and understanding that, um, you know, we can keep doing those Band-Aid solutions. Um, you know, it's, it's so I'm so pleased we're building this new hospital. Um, you know, we're, we're needing to keep upgrading with technologically-wise and making sure we have all those resources. But 
we can't keep treating health as this ambulance at the bottom of the cliff. Um, we've actually got to look at preventative measures, and I think that's quite, um, you know, this is where we can learn from First Nations peoples and Te Ao Māori, um, looking at that, you know, there's all these preventative ways. If we're looking at health holistically, um, there's all these preventative ways we can actually address these issues so that they don't even end up being there. And I think the amount of money we spend on health um, and as the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff is like astronomically bigger than if we just invested in, in children's well-being and families' well-being and, and all of those social inequality issues, if we actually invested in them, that would actually help further down the line with criminal justice. Um, it would reduce the prison populations. It would, you know, it would reduce um, the mental health um, distress. It would reduce um, all of those negative social outcomes um, if we were actually to look at health as a um, as a holistic model rather than just focusing on sort of those acute symptoms of you know what you could imagine is of when you're you're feeling sick and going to the hospital. And it's not saying that we won't still have that, but it's it's broadening that horizon and looking at. Um, the whole, the whole picture rather than that narrow focus, which I think we've had for far too long. What are you going to do to engage the, the young people? There were an awful lot of them real keen at those, the, the school strike for climate mm-hmm. last year. So you have the advantage of being closer to their, to their age, but that's not enough, surely. Yeah, I think it's um it's an interesting one i i see a lot in these spaces this really um refusal to engage with partisan politics and i i understand it completely and i was like that myself um feeling really disenfranchised and disillusioned um and having no faith in politicians and i remember at the rise of extinction rebellion um last year it being pretty clear that um you know politicians aren't going to save us and well i i agree with that on a surface level um I think it's about looking at it as a movement and realizing that, you know, politics is just one branch of um, an entire movement where you've got the activists, you've got the domestic carers, you've got the um, community volunteers, and you've got all the um, ecologists and conservationists protecting the environment. And it's about working that together. And so I guess when I'm looking at these younger generations, I think it's just saying it how it is. I think it's, um, you know, too often politics has been disingenuous and too scared to be transformational, too scared to be radical. Um, and that really puts people off because you can feel it. And I think younger generations are a bit different to, I guess, our parents' generations because we have all these opportunities and all these doors open. And whereas in the past, we didn't necessarily have that information at our fingertips. And now being so connected, we can do that. So I guess to answer the question, um, I'm not going not to be afraid to speak my mind. I'm, I'm going to be um, listening to the needs of the communities, um, engaging them, hearing what they need. You know, I know with my own experiences and what student communities are facing um, is crippling student debt, um, which locks you into a, a lifetime of um, having servitude and having to pay that back. Um, I was just reading a um, fantastic quote by um, uh, Noam Chomsky, which um, details that, you know, by the time students graduate, they're not only loaded with debt, but they have also internalized um, this discipline culture that makes them efficient components of this consumerist economy. And I think it's that rejection um, of that that 
our younger generations are seeing, which is why we've seen those school strikes and all those um, um, hundreds of thousands of millions of young people around the world um, stand up and say they've had enough. Um, so I think it's just um, really challenging um, these stories we've been told um, is going to be a key part to that. And um, yeah, just building that movement because people don't want necessarily to be told what to do. They empowered to be able to do that themselves. So it's, it's fostering that. How do we stop those excited young people becoming disillusioned, giving up? It's perhaps too strong a word, but maybe not giving up, maybe going along with that becoming part of the machine, which is the 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 easy thing to do. I think that um, comes back to that sort of saying, you know, you've got to lead by example and you've got to show that better path because I think um, you know, if one thing I've learned being involved in activism and dealing with my own mental health is that, you know, people are ready for the solutions and the answers. So, um but you, you've got to you've got to deliver them authentically. So I guess it's um, speaking to that. It's the it's it's critiquing the 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 powers and the the problems, the big um, industries, the corporations that are destroying the world. But then showing that other way, showing that there is a solution. So I think that goes a long way to it because um, I think it's extremely important to um, you've got to have a vision and a, a way forward to look forward to to. Um, Otherwise, you're just sort of floundering about, squandering. And if you're being too nihilistic, if you're being too um, like sort of negative, you're not actually uh, manifesting that positive change that you want to see in the world. So, yeah. And here is one of those young people. Here is Zach Rudin. You possibly haven't seen it yet. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, no, I do agree with you on that point, but... Yeah, at the same time, it's kind of an ongoing battle it has been for myself and for the other school strikers, just in terms of, like, the angst we've been feeling and just just kind of a level of, like, cognitive dissonance um, within us in terms of, like, um, wanting to create some real profound change. But then, obviously, just the way our lifestyles are structured, it's impossible to avoid using fossil fuels just in everyday life. Um, it's just so heavily ingrained within um within everything in that um so detaching from that and so forth um and also just yeah i guess it, it just really is quite demoralizing just seeing the state of the world now with the australian bushfires and then a huge number of people are uh, simply blaming the problem on arsonists and so forth and not actually realizing that this is a problem which is fueled um scientifically by uh the the issue of the climate crisis um because as global temperatures increase we're experiencing uh, more arid um conditions and more um frequent extreme weather events and this this has been labeled kind of as the new norm but i've heard from in terms of uh, climate scientists are saying this isn't the new norm um this is actually essentially the tipping point in which things are starting to dramatically increase in magnitude and that's an exponential increase so it's not it's not so stationary as people think it's interesting you talked about you being aware of the contradiction of 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 the fact that you're using fossil fuels in Mm -hmm. in the the way that, that we're living because it's very much the the gotcha that the skeptics 
throw at them. You know, all these kids marching up, but I bet you they were using their phones and mummy and daddy drove them there in their, in their petrol-driven car and mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And the way that they say that with such righteousness as if nobody else thought of it. Mm. <laughs> But you're very aware of that. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I mean, there's, the thing is, is that there's always going to be that level of hypocrisy um, within our current system as things stand. Um, and there can't not be until we change the system, because that's something that not many people think of. They think of how we can change ourselves and how we can be more consumer-friendly. Um, or not consumer, but like um, use our consumer lifestyles to be more environmentally friendly. Um, but... Whereas in reality, if if we want to stand any chance at turning this situation around at this super, super late stage as it is, um, we we have to focus on the systems at play um, and the industrial capitalist systems that are uh, essentially driving the fossil fuel industry. So how many matches... Did you do? Was it just about marches, or did you do, did you do other things? Um, well, we did three major strikes over the course of the last year. Uh, it was March 15th, May 24th, and September 27th. Um, we also did uh, more little things in between those times. Obviously, organizing and preparing for those um, strikes were was immensely time-consuming. Um, we were meeting pretty much. There was a group of four of us, myself, uh, Linnea Simons, Finn McKinley, and A. Bailey, um, all year 13s last year at Logan Park High School, and we were meeting pretty much every day to discuss further plans and coordinating with other um, groups and everything, um, such as Extinction Rebellion and Generation Zero. Um uh, but yeah, we we also coordinated several other uh, smaller scale actions. Um, in terms of uh, those, we did a barn stance crossing in the lead up to the final strike, um, just to uh, help raise awareness. Um, and uh, yeah, and several other uh, smaller demonstrations surrounding that. So you mentioned that it was five year thirteens. Four, 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 four. Okay, so what's? Do you have like uh, a continuity plan? Who's taking up the mantle next year? Or yeah, we're currently in the process of um, getting all of that sorted. There is currently quite a big uh, restructuring of uh, School Strike for Climate on a national scale. Um, so we're all coordinating and making sure that that goes through. Um, so yeah, it is. It's kind of a downtime right now uh, with the holidays and everything. Um, but yeah, we we are in the process of getting that set up, and we do have a few people that we're um, connecting with and who are keen to take the veins, at least in Dunedin. Well, it should have really been started years and years and years ago. Um, and I think what we need now is uh, mass mobilization of people um, on mass numbers. Um, and to get that, um, mass mobilization we need we need public consensus um, and through that we can, uh, through that um, if people become more informed about the situation um, and they read up on it and they become interested in it and interested in finding solutions um, I think that we can create some real radical change that way um, in terms of the kind of consumer uh, lifestyle um, it's definitely a tricky one because, I mean, essentially what we're up against is not individuals because th- that's an important thing. There has been a lot of um, blame placed upon the individual and a lot of blame shifting, not just by the fossil fuel industry, but even by our own government. Um, 
for example, uh, the New Zealand government released um, an ad earlier this year saying how we can all do our bit in terms of planting a tree, doing some recycling, um, or this kind of thing. Um, and like I said before, that's great. Um, but what it's really doing is just shifting the blame of the climate crisis onto people. So people feel helpless in that situation like they feel like okay i can do this and this but what's that actually doing so in some perverse way is that some great victory by the fossil fuel companies of making yeah. you feel guilty yeah i i'd say it is um and i'm i'm saddened to see a, a, even the own new zealand government kind of backing that to some extent at least but in terms of that mass mobilization maybe we don't need to convince everybody mm. maybe we just need to get on with having a better life Mm. Uh, you bought an electric bike I did, yeah That's cool <laughs> Yeah, it's a fantastic mode of transport Yeah, for sure Yeah, great substitute for a car My best investment by far <laughs> So Should we be Celebrating that? Um I I don't think there's To be honest um, Not to bring the mood down or anything But I, I don't think there's Um any cause for celebration as things currently stand. I mean, just the state of the world with the Australian bushfires, which burned around 16 million hectares already. Um, and in comparison, that the the Amazonian rainforest, which uh, became vile for its burning, um, that was around 1 million hectares. Um, and just seeing more and more unprecedented uh, extreme weather events and more and more politicians coming into power who don't uh, who who are, who are climate deniers and um and who aren't prepared to enact uh, proper policy to address the issue um it's it's caused me um i think individually to think that this this is something that can't be solved not only can it not be solved through our consumer choices but it can't be solved through um participation within the status quo uh, and within our democracy, but actually it needs to be solved through massive public upheaval um, and putting the power into the hands of the people um, and then having essentially a revolution on a global scale is what it really comes down to at this stage. Hey, that's um, a big step up from taxes and carbon offsets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure it is. Um, but I think that is the necessary call to action um, at the says because we are facing a crisis on a global scale i arguably um the biggest crisis we have ever faced as um as a species and this transcends politics it transcends race it transcends religion um and it, it's it's indiscriminate of all people that being said also it um it is um it disproportionately affects communities um like as mentioned before indigenous communities and pacifica communities um and people um in lower economic statuses um in terms of uh flooding and coastal erosion and um all of these effects which which a lot of people are failing to re realize yeah when you talk about revolution, do you mean like a proper revolution or some sort of quiet changing of the guard behind the scenes? I 
I don't think it can be quiet at this stage. I think, yeah, I, I think it needs to be a proper full-scale revolution. And when I say revolution, I mean revolution of all aspects of life. So people coming from it from their own different angles and their different perspectives, um, but all tackling the heart of the issue um, in terms of industrial capitalism, which has essentially caused this major crisis. Um, so, yeah, I, I do think that there needs to be major reform um, and I mean, when I say revolution, I, I imagine there's quite a lot of um, preconceptions about that word, um, and people think, oh, well, I mean, I, I don't want to, I, I don't want to get super involved with that, um, and that's fine. I mean, everyone can participate to their own ability and their own um, uh, and what they're capable of or what they're comfortable with. Um, just in terms of, uh, in terms of. Uh, traffic light system which is used by a lot of uh, civil disobedience um, movements in terms of like green being essentially that uh, you don't um, you, you don't want to be on the front lines of it and um, but you're prepared to support people um, uh, physically and emotionally um, yellow being that um, you're prepared to say uh, blockade a road or a street um, and uh Participate in non-violent civil disobedience, um, and red being essentially you're prepared to be arrested um, and stand up in that way. Um, so yeah, there's definitely levels of involvement in that way. Um, but I think the way that we reach this um, is definitely through through people waking up and through people realizing the magnitude of the situation. Evolution, well, you know, we all want to change the world. But when you talk about destruction, don't you know that you can count me out? Don't you know it's gonna be all right? All right. Got a real solution Well, you know We don't love to see the plan You ask me for a contribution Well, you know We all do what we can But if you want money for people with minds that hate all I can tell you is, brother, you have to wait. All right. All right.
You've been listening to Sustainable Lands Regeneration on radio. We started today having a chat with Bruce Maholsky about the Extinction Rebellion Otapoti Dunedin's activities this morning blockading a coal train. That led us to Horda Torfesen, who was the leader of the kitchenware revolution in Iceland. Uh, a few years ago and then we heard from Dunedin's Jack Brazil that was from last year and from Zach Rudin who we talked to after a climate change strike a couple of years ago you can hear more from each of those people at least the latter three on sustainablelens.org that was Sustainable Lens I'm Samuel Mann we hope you enjoyed the show
Otago Polytechnic, we've made a commitment to sustainability in all that we do. High quality, hands-on education is our trademark and it's delivered with a focus on sustainable practice. We even have a school dedicated to it, our Centre for Sustainable Practice. For more information, check out our website, otagopolytechnic.ac.nz. A bright future is a sustainable future. Otago Polytechnic, proud sponsor of Sustainable Lens. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.